friends, we can all listen to the sunny side of sports. Great show, bro. This is sunny side of sports. Right here on the Voice of America. Voice of America. Sporty greetings to all our Voice of America listeners. This is VOA's Sunday Shomari sitting in for Sonny Young in Washington. Welcome to the May 24th edition of the Sunny Side of Sports. Sonny is in Kigali, Rwanda, with our colleague Eddie Rema getting ready for the Basketball Africa League semifinals. A short time ago, he spoke with our colleague Kate Pound Dawson about what's coming up. Sonny, we're looking forward to the two semifinal games on Wednesday. Can you give us some history of the four teams? Well, Kate, I would say these four teams are some of the most experienced in African men's basketball. Uh, Just to go back to when they were formed, Zamalek, the most successful basketball Africa League team, they've won 12 consecutive games, uh, going for a second straight trophy. Uh, Their origins date all the way back to 1937. They were known by a different name, but they've been around for a long, long time. They're going to be taking on U.S. Monastir from Tunisia. Monastir was uh, founded in 1959, so they also have a very long history in African men's club basketball. And just as a point of comparison, Monastir is coming off a uh, just a route of the Cape Town Tigers from uh, South Africa. The Tigers are... I I think one of the newest teams in the Basketball Africa League, they've only been in existence uh, for, I think, two or three years. They they were founded, I think, in 2019. Uh, So I think experience does play a huge role. In the first semifinal on Wednesday night, Petro de Luanda, uh, one of the most successful Angolan basketball clubs, will play FAP from Cameroon. Again, you have two experienced teams. Petro de Luanda was founded in 1980, and they have won uh, numerous Angolan League championships uh, since they were formed. They will be taking on a very good FAP team from Cameroon, which is celebrating its 50th anniversary. That's right. Uh, They were founded in 1972. And, Kate, I did listen to Iron Mike Mbonye's interview on Monday with that Petro de Luanda team official, and I I heard him say several times that they're expecting a very tough uh, semifinal against FAP. And I agree. FAP is a very physical team, and I think Petro de Luanda will really uh, have its work cut out if it wants to make it to the final on Saturday. Now, can you can you talk a little bit about the top players on each team? Is there is there somebody we really ought to be looking out for? Well, you know, I, I'm going to highlight four international players, Kate, and, and just as a review for our Voice of America listeners, uh, each of these Basketball Africa League teams is allowed. Uh, eight players from their respective countries. So, for example, uh, Zamalek has to have at least eight Egyptian players, and then they're allowed four foreign players. Uh, Out of those four foreign players, two have to come from Africa, and the other two can be uh, from outside of Africa, either Europe, United States, maybe Asia. For Zamalek, uh, the player I'm going to be watching, or player to watch, on Wednesday night, Edgar Sosa, 
He's a guard for Zomalek. Uh, Dominican-American. He was born in New York City, played for the University of Louisville uh, in college, and excellent shooter for Zomalek. He had 13 points uh, in their most recent victory, and uh, he'll be he'll be a player to watch. Uh, Sosa can really control play for Zomalek, and if, if he gets on a hot streak shooting, uh, they're going to be a tough team to beat. For Monastir, I'm going to uh, be watching their big center from Sudan, Majak, uh, Atter James Majak. I affectionately call him, Kate, the Majak man, the Majak man. Uh, big, tall, slender, uh, good, good footwork. Uh, he, he blocks a lot of shots. Uh, he can shoot from outside. And uh, just an interesting background. Born in Sudan, uh, he was able to make it to Egypt and uh, as a refugee, and uh, now he represents Lebanon in uh, international play. And at club level, he plays for Monastir. So Majak, uh, we'll see what kind of game he has on Wednesday night. And the other semifinal uh, between Petro de Luanda and FAP, uh, Carlos Moraes. He's Angolan, and uh, he's been a stalwart for Petro de Luanda uh, for many years. He had a game-high 27 points uh, in their last game, including five three-point shots. Uh, Carlos is an excellent shooter, and uh, so he'll be a player to watch for Petro de Luanda. And the uh, last international player that I'll spotlight, Joel Almeida. Joel Almeida for FAP. He's from Cape Verde, and he's another guard. Uh, quick. Uh, he's been one of the leading ball stealers in this Basketball Africa League competition. Also a good shooter. He had 10 points in their last game. So those are just uh, four players, Sosa, Majak, Carlos Moraes, and Almeida for our VOA listeners to uh, watch or hear about on Wednesday night. That was Sonny Young speaking with Kate Pound Dawson. You can also follow the action on Sonny's Twitter and Facebook pages. And VOA will be broadcasting the action right here and online. Now let's catch up with National Basketball Association action. Jason Tatum scored 31 points and the Boston Celtics pounded the Miami Heat 102-82 Monday evening. The win ties the best of seven NBA Eastern Conference Finals at two games apiece. Associated Press correspondent Gethin Colbar reports. The Celtics evened up their Eastern Conference Finals series against the Heat at two games apiece with a big 102-82 Game 4 win. Jason Tatum led all scorers with 31 points after scoring only 10 in the Celtics' Game 3 loss. I think I do a really good job of, uh, you know, after I sleep it off, regardless if I have 10 points or 46 points, the next day is uh, the next day and whatever happened. Happy. Boston never trailed and led by as many as 32 after a game-opening 18-1 run while holding Miami without a field goal for nearly nine minutes. Victor Oladipo scored 23 to lead the Heat. Gethin Kulbaugh, Boston. Tonight, Steve Curry and the Golden State Warriors go for a sweep in Game 4 of the Western Conference Finals in Dallas. The Warriors have won nine consecutive games in the Western Conference Finals and are looking to make it an even 10 by eliminating the Dallas Mavericks and returning to the NBA Finals after three years away. 
I'm VOA's Sunday Shomari in Washington, and you're listening to the Sony Side of Sports. Voice of America. This is Sony Side of Sports, and that is Yoki telling you Sony Side of Sports, Sony Side of Sports. <laughs> Voice of America. listeners, just a reminder that we have moved our programs to voaafrica.com. There you will find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. Find us on voaafrica.com. Let's move from basketball court to football pitch. The Confederation of African Football, CAF, has chucked Zimbabwe and Kenya from their respective groups ahead of the 2023 African Cup of Nations qualifiers. More on the story from Bulawayo, Zimbabwe. Africa's football governing body, the Confederation of African Football, Tuesday announced the ban in a letter to the country's football governing associations. It comes after the two countries failed to get their FIFA suspensions lifted. CAFED included them in the qualifying round, which starts in June. Now they will be considered losers for the 2023 Africa Cup of Nations competition in Ivory Coast. Zimbabwe Football Association has been embroiled in a long standoff with the Sports and Recreation Commission. The commission intervened to suspend the current executive over several allegations, including embezzlement of funds and sexual harassment. FIFA suspended Zimbabwe over the commission's actions. Traditionally, FIFA takes a dim view of what it calls political interference. Kenya was suspended after the Kenyan government disbanded the Football Kenya Federation and installed a caretaker committee. In Zimbabwe, some sports pundits tell VOA Zifa needs some sort of intervention. Veteran coach Cosmas Zulu is among those who think the CAF decision is a necessary price to pay for order to prevail in local football. Whatever is happening, whoever the Ministry of Sport, what they are doing, I think they want to get uh, to put the world in order. And at the end of the day, there must be some order in terms of integrity and accountability. We need people who are accountability. A strong CRC is doing it for the better. He's doing it to come up with people who will be running football, who are honest and who are good integrity. Players will not be able to play international football under the national colors for the duration of the suspension. Zulu says local football stakeholders will have to pay the price. It doesn't matter the current players, whoever it is, coaching me as a coach. I personally want the football stakeholders to sit down and come up with the right solution, with the right people. We've got integrity, honest accountability to themselves to run football in this country. It can take 10 years or 20 years. Sit down, everybody. You've been our government and the football stakeholders and come up with a solution and take it to FIFA and the ban will be lifted. Love Modube, a sports bandit, thinks the 
suspension presents an opportunity to rebuild local football structures. This should not be a sugar coating exercise, but a nationwide exercise that allows every talented kid to have equal access to opportunities in football so that when the suspension is lifted, we are somewhere who are not starting from scratch. Men in football expected the CAF suspension, although they question why the two countries were included in the CAF qualifying rounds in the first place, considering the FIFA ban. Reporting from Bulawayo, Zimbabwe. Looking ahead to the FIFA World Cup, Rwandan official Salima Mukansanga is one of the first three women referees selected for a men's World Cup. She will join Yoshimi Yamashita from Japan and Stephanie Frappat from France, officiating in Qatar. And the World Cup kicks off later in November. Eugene Wimana has the reaction to Mukansanga's landmark selection. History is made in Rwanda. A 33-year-old soccer referee, Simon Mukansanga, will officiate some matches of the men's FIFA World Cup 2022. She says when she first received a message informing her that she was selected, she did not believe it. She went in the car and read it many times. She says it has happened. It is official now. And she will be standing near international players that she used to see on television. Salima Mukansanga, who is a nurse by education, says officiating the men's FIFA World Cup was never her dream. She says her dream couldn't reach that level. She says her dream was to officiate the Women's FIFA World Cup. She says this could be the biggest achievement in her career. But she says it is now clear that only the sky is the limit. She says everything's possible. Salima Mukansanga's historic achievement is dominating conversations on social media in Rwanda. Speaking to Sunny Side of Sports, sports analyst Ethan Tashobia said her career underscores Rwanda's efforts to promote women. It's such a huge milestone, not only for Rwanda, uh, but uh, I mean for the African uh, women uh, sportsmen and referees. Uh, I think she's opening up for uh, future milestones. I think it's sort of attached to the entire effort that the country, the government of Rwanda is putting in to empower women. Rwandan President Paul Kagame said the youth already have what it takes to develop sport in Africa, but leaders need to create the right environment. He was speaking during a recent sports forum in Rwanda's capital, Chigali. Uh, already with the youth, the, the energy, the talent, the uh, desire to uh, do things, whether it is sports or other things, is there. So all we, we, we need to do is really uh, give them a chance and, and give uh, an injection of some of the literal things that are, are, are required, even certain basics. In President Kagame also said African countries should tap into the talents of their youth to make sports and industry a booming business for their economies. Sport is not only an enjoyment that the people in the business uh, uh, also like to participate in, uh, but it has become an investment uh, space where people can put their money and get returns as well. With modern times, it's not just that, it's not the feeling, it's not the pride, it's not the competition, it's, it ends up 
being an investment and a business and uh, that kind of life uh, weaves into that as well and uh, yeah, it's, it's something that touches every part of the world. Rwandan referee Salima Mukansanga gained international prominence when she officiated the matches at the Tokyo Olympic Games last year and this year when she became the first woman to officiate the finals of the African Cup of Nations. The men's World Cup tournament where she will officiate takes place in Qatar from November 21st to December 18th, 2022. For the sunny side of sports, I am Ejen Uimana from Jigari, Rwanda. Thanks, Eugene. As the three female referees are set to make World Cup history, FIFA president Gianni Infantino estimates that a record 5 billion people around the world will be watching the action. VOA's Gwen Uten tells us how the tournament will be won for the history books. The 2022 FIFA World Cup will be the first to take place at the end of the year and the first to be held in the Middle East. And on Monday, FIFA President Gianni Infantino recalled the inspiring words of the late South African President Nelson Mandela that sports can change the world. And he added over half the world's population will be watching this year's tournament. Mandela was saying that sport can change the world, that it can inspire, that it unites. And definitely he was, was right with that. And football as the most popular sport in the world has a unique reach. This World Cup in Qatar will be watched by 5 billion people, way above half of the world population. Infantino made his comments at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, where he outlined why he expects the coming tournament to attract an unprecedented global audience. Well, what is so special about football? I think every single one of these five billion people has probably his own answer to that, uh, to that particular question. Uh, but of course, if you, if you analyze it maybe a little bit more in depth, uh, you realize that football it's actually quite unique. It has different different dimensions. Uh, we are here at the World Economic Forum, so football has definitely an economic dimension. It has a social dimension as well, and then it has an emotional dimension. Uh, on, maybe on the, on the economic dimension, because it's also an important element of it, and maybe many people don't, don't know that, actually. You know, the, the economy of football on a global scale has a gross output of around 200 billion a year, a gross value added of around 150 billion. That's 200 a billion year. US dollars. US dollars. Maybe. US dollars. So imagine the potential, the economic potential that there is around the world. This year's World Cup will take place in Qatar, the smallest nation to hold soccer's biggest event. Qatar spent billions of dollars to build eight state-of-the-art stadiums in and around the capital city, Doha. And in light of those infrastructure projects, an area of concern leading up to the tournament has been the issue of workers' rights. In 2021, The Guardian published a report that revealed more than 6,500 migrant workers from South Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa died in the decades since Qatar was awarded 
hosting rights. And many of those deaths were directly linked to the construction of World Cup stadiums. Last week, rights groups, including Amnesty International, called on FIFA to allot over $400 million to compensate migrant workers who were exposed to forced labor, unpaid wages, and excessive working hours during World Cup preparations. Gianni Infantino maintains human rights protections are a top priority for FIFA and that the governing body has helped give migrant workers, quote, dignity and pride, despite allegations of human rights abuses. Qatar is the first Muslim state to host the World Cup. And during the World Economic Forum, Qatar's Amir Sheikh Tamim bin Hamad Al-Thani addressed what he calls unprecedented attacks from those who refuse to accept that the tournament will be held in an Arab country. For decades now, the Middle East has suffered from discrimination. And I have found out that such discrimination is largely based on people not knowing us and in some cases refusing to get to know us. Even today, there are still people who cannot accept the idea that an Arab Muslim country would host a tournament like the World Cup. Qatar is just like your own country. Not perfect, constantly trying to improve and full of hope for a brighter future. We are so proud of the development reform and progress we have made. And we are grateful for the spotlight that the World Cup provided, which inspired us to make these changes at a lightning speed. I assure everyone listening that this edition of the World Cup will be a special one. The emir added that the people of Qatar and the region are excited to showcase their ancient culture and hospitality to the entire world. This year's World Cup tournament is set to kick off on November 21st, and the final match will take place on Qatar National Day on December 18th. Thanks, Gwen. And for UEFA fans, today, Albania's capital, Tirana, welcomed the UEFA Europa Conference League trophy ahead of the final between Dutch club Feyenoord and Italy's Roma. Up to 100,000 fans are expected to travel to Tirana, even though each club was allocated only 4,000 tickets for the inaugural final of the third-tier European tournament. Lorikana. An Albanian who has played for Paris Saint-Germain, Marseille and other European teams was at the ceremony to receive the conference trophy. I think it's, an, it's, a, it's, it's a great final for the first edition of this competition. Uh, I think the, 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 the program and the game is absolutely, it's absolutely fantastic. Myself, I was, I was fancying Marseille as a former club captain. I was fancying Marseille to come over. But Feyenoord is a huge club as well, bringing a lot of fans, have a lot of traditions in the European competition. And Roma Feyenoord is definitely a fantastic and fantastic game to, to open for the first time of this edition. And as Albanian, very proud to host, to host the first edition of this competition. UEFA picked Tirana as host in December 2020, one year after the new stadium officially opened and before any team qualified to enter the debut competition. The final is a higher-profile match than was envisioned by many in 2018 when UEFA decided to create the Europa Conference League. Its aim was to give more opportunities for clubs in lower-ranked countries to stay involved in European competitions beyond December. Let's get to grips with some wrestling. 
Team Nigeria has won 11 medals at the 2022 African Wrestling Championship held at El Jadida in Morocco. The Nigerian women's team won eight medals to finish second with 170 points, while Tunisia came first with 179 points. The men's team won three medals in the championship, which ended on Sunday. Daniel Igali is the president of Nigeria Wrestling Federation. He spoke to Iron Mike Mbonye about the championship. He says the federation is impressed with Team Nigeria's performance. The 2022 Junior Cadet and Senior African Championships has just ended in El Jadida. Nigeria went with a total of 11 athletes, 8 female and 3 freestyle male athletes. Did Team Nigeria win new medals in different weight categories at the African Wrestling Championship? All 11 athletes won medals at the competition. We won four golds, three silver, and four bronze medals. Blessing Oburududu, a Commonwealth champion and Olympic silver medalist, became an 11-time consecutive African champion in our weight class. Very, very impressive. Did not even give up a single point in all five matches she had at the championships. Oduanyo Adekore, another star of the Nigeria wrestling team, also went for a seventh straight African title in very, very impressive fashion. We also had two youngsters, two 20-year-olds, Jumoke Adekoye, um, who became a first-time African champion in a weight class, that is at the 50-kilogram, or 55-kilogram weight class, and outpowered all our opponents as if she was a seasoned um, athlete. We also had uh, Mercy Adekore, who is a younger sister of Odunayo uh, Adekore, win her first African title in very dominant fashion in the 53 kilogram weight class. Uh, the other medalists were Patience Opone in the 62 kilogram class who won a silver medal. Anna Ruben also won a silver medal uh, in the 76 kilogram weight class. We also had A.B. Biogos in the 72 kilogram weight class who won a bronze medal. And Somisola Balogun in the 65 kilogram weight class who won a bronze medal. That's for the women. In the men, we had three of them compete yesterday and they ended up winning a silver and two bronze medals. Ibiko Wenemo Wilson in the 57 kilogram class won a silver medal. Um, Ekerekeme Agyomo in the 86 kilogram class won a bronze medal and um, John um, in the 74 kilograms won a bronze medal. So in all, we had all our athletes who participated in this championship, all 11 of them came back with 11 medals. It was uh, an impressive competition. This is about the first tournament that, as a team, we have competed in this year. So we expected some rustiness, and that did show. Um, but I think this will put them in uh, a good position 
um, it will put the technical team also in a good position to reappraise our performances and work on some of the um, weaknesses that we saw in this tournament. President, do you have more championships to attend later in the year? Um, team Nigeria still has competitions this year. Um, we have uh, ranking two ranking series tournaments, actually three ranking series tournaments. We have one in Italy later this year. Um, in fact, next month we have a ranking series tournament in Italy. Uh, we also have uh, a ranking series tournament in Poland and another ranking series tournament in Tunisia in July. So uh, between June and July, we have three ranking series tournaments. Uh, then we have the Commonwealth Games that's coming up in Birmingham um, early August this year and the World Championships, uh, which is about the biggest tournament of the year, comes up uh, in September of this year in Serbia. So uh, we have a loaded program for our team, for our athletes, and we're hoping that uh, uh, we prime them properly to be able to compete at these tournaments and to get the necessary points for the world ranking in their different weight classes. That was Daniel Igali, president of the Nigeria Wrestling Federation. He spoke to reporter Mike Mbonye on the telephone from Yenagoa, Nigeria. I am VOA's Sunday Shamari in Washington, and you're listening to the sunny side of sports. Let's take a lap around the track to close out the show. Jamaica's Olympic sprint queen Ellen Thompson-Hera will head a star-studded field in the women's 100 meters at this weekend's Prefontaine Classic Diamond League meeting in Aragon. Organizers have confirmed that Thompson Hera, the 2016 and 2020 Olympic champion of 100 and 200 meters, will take to the track at Hayward Field on Saturday in a lineup bristling with talent. Thompson Hera will race against U.S. star Shakari Richardson. Other stars in the women's 100 meters this weekend include Britain's world 200 meters champion Dina Usher-Smith, and Olympic 100 meters bronze medalist Sharika Jackson. And that wraps up the May 24th edition of the show. Thank you for tuning in. I am VOA's Sunday Shamar.